3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respects to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning and welcome to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. It is 7am on Tuesday the 4th of July and you're joined in the studio today with me, Carnegie and Ivka. Good, Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. I'm really well. I had my weekend was that nice mix of relaxing and alone time. Oh heaven! But I also saw quite a bit of music, which was nice. I saw Cable Ties on Friday night, their local Melbourne band, and they've just released a new album. That was really good. And then uh, a last minute decision to see Close Counters at the corner on Saturday night, which was fun. Nice little dance to them. Sounds absolutely divine. Yeah. Um, I'm excited because today is, oh, well, last night, I guess, is um, a Capricorn moon, which, oh. I, which is, um, yeah, meant to be really good. Good how? Like, what what, what are we expecting a Capricorn moon to bring? Um, so I think it's expected to bring sort of grounding to everyone really but I think especially people with Capricorn placements so um I think it's a good time good time to be alive (laughs) (laughs) I ran into a friend actually yesterday as well speaking of grounding and they were telling me that they had just uh they met up in the city to go grounding which is where you go to a patch of grass somewhere and take your shoes off and really feel connected to the earth because one of them lives in the city but like under like the apartment is underground and they don't really get much sun. So he was saying how he has to regularly go and ground himself. I was like, that's really beautiful. And what a nice activity to get together with your friend to do. Yeah. Like when you say it's, they went to the city to ground. One of them lives kind of in the city. Productive, but I get it. Like yeah. yeah. They're living <laughs> underground essentially. Yeah, I get what you're saying. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. That, sounds, that sounds really nice. Mm-hmm. I do love to, you know, stand on the ground, the the grass under my feet. (laughs) Yeah, feel it between your toes. I'm more of a sand between my toes kind of gal myself. But I, yeah, I understand the concept though. Yeah, no, sand gets a bit in in things. Yeah, Yeah, it's like, it feels nice, exfoliating, (laughs) your skin feels really good afterwards. It is true. I have been craving some sort, like the beach and just Mm. water recently. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that's about. Um... All right. Well, let's talk about what's coming up on the show today. Uh, we're going to start off the show listening to a clip from Behind Beyond the Bars, um, which is a broadcast that 3CR does every year to give voice to men and women in Victorian prisons. Um, this is, of course, for NADOC Week this week. So really excited to listen to a clip from um, one of the broadcasts yesterday. Uh, We will then be listening to a clip um, from Thursday Breakfast where Priya speaks with Kristen O'Connell, research and policy expert at the Anti-Poverty Centre. 
and they discuss the convergence between Australia's cost of living and rental crisis for people living below the poverty line, a really important conversation for right now. Um, then at 8 o'clock, we will be speaking with Renee Dixon, who is an emerging, emerging academic and co-founder of the Forcibly Displaced People Network. Um, we've spoken to Renee on the show before. Their organization um, helps refugees who identify as LGBTQIA+. Um, so Renee will be talking to us about some upcoming information sessions and what the organization has been up to. And to finish up the show, uh, this NADOC week theme is for our elders. And so we're going to revisit an interview Fung had last year with Auntie Rhonda Collard Spratt, a Yamachi Nunga elder and stolen generations survivor. Auntie Rhonda is an accomplished author and artist. And the chat is about uh, a book she'd released last year called Bob Tail's Friend. Amazing. Uh, we will be right back with the news headlines after this. DigiChew, people, place, language. Connecting stories, culture and language across Australia. Contribute your content in digitube.com.au. Sign up for a free account and select your options for streaming. Download and broadcast promotion. A 3CR supporter. Leaps and Bounds Music Festival is warming up winter in Yarra. Don't miss the Archie Roach Foundation presenting Singing Our Futures, a fundraiser with Emma Donovan, Kiwak Kennel and Kian at the Corner Hotel. Explore the program by visiting the website lbmf.com.au. Leaps and Bounds, 13th to 16th of July. Yarra City Council is a 3CR supporter. See what I want to think and now's the time to grab it. Welcome back to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. These are our news headlines for this morning, Tuesday the 4th of July. Universities and Australia's biggest student housing provider are using a loophole in legislation to avoid tough laws designed to protect renters. It has been reported that there have been instances where international students particularly have had to break their lease and are held liable for thousands of dollars in rent and even blocked from re-enrolling into their courses due to non-payment of rent. University accommodation is often exempt from the Residential Tenancies Act and can be confusing for international students to navigate. Lawyers acting for students in both Victoria and New South Wales say that they see too many cases where on-campus private housing providers evade tenancy laws because of their former affiliation with the university and are calling for proper clarity on the matter. Victoria University is calling for voluntary redundancies of about 300 full-time academic and administrative staff. This equals about 16% of its workforce. Um, They announced the merger of some of their colleges and uh, announced a $73.2 million deficit last year. The Vice-Chancellor of the University told staff just this Wednesday that the institution had a cost-saving target of $40 million in 2023, and as expenditure continued to exceed revenue, voluntary separation packages were being sent out at 2pm on Wednesday last week. Matthew Klugman, the vice president of the NTEU's Victoria University branch, said that staff were shell-shocked and worried about what the losses could mean. Um, VU has just seen uh, 
big restructures and job losses, especially in 2020, which meant a heavier workload for those who remained um, and staff are quite worried about their future at the university. Uh, Same-sex couples in Nepal have said on Friday that they were preparing to register their marriages after the Supreme Court issued a temporary order clearing the way for gay marriage for the first time in the largely conservative country's history. The Supreme Court has been considering a petition on the issue filed by gay right activists and on Wednesday it issued an interim order allowing for same-sex couples to register their marriages pending a final verdict. This is a really big and progressive step for Nepal, which is a majority Hindu country um, and has been fighting a decade-long Maoist rebellion, which ended in 2006. Um, as we mentioned earlier, it is NADOC week. Um, the theme for this year is For Our Elders. There will, of course, be events happening all across the country. Um, for a full list, you can visit nadoc.org.au. Um, and, of course, tune in to Beyond the Bars on 3CR. Beyond the Bars is a, um incredible broadcast that 3CR does every year where we speak to people inside Victorian prisons. Um, it's one of the only avenues for people inside prisons to have a voice, to, to get to speak. Um, of course, First Nations people definitely tune in across the week. Um, it will be broadcast on uh, from the 3rd of July to the 7th of July um, at 3cr.org.au slash beyond the bars. So tune in all through the week and um, also to the rest of our shows, which will be platforming First Nations voices and replaying clips from beyond the bars as well. All right, that's our news headlines for this morning. Uh, we're going to play you a track to start off the show. This is Fight For Me by Barker and Electric Fields. And just a quick language warning on this one. If that is an issue for you, um, please tune back in in three minutes. She said, don't leave me here again, ma. I need you more than you could ever understand, ma. I'm broken and alone, I know we had a broken home Stop thinking you need a man, ma Getting chucked around the system, need to take my hand, ma Wanna go home, but you're too selfish on that needle Think you bad to the bone, was once good but you turn evil And I'm sick of these thoughts, was I ever enough? It seems that all I was taught, but I was always too much And all I want is your love, but you don't wanna come back Yeah, you're too sick on that crack, to comprehend the impact I only see you for an hour every couple of weeks And I'm going through so much trauma, I find it hard to just you touching me in the dark Cause I'm not worthy of loving I'll probably turn out like you Or lying up in a coffin All I wanted was you But I wasn't your problem I guess I gotta figure out my own ways To just solve them Want you to fight for me Like you fight over drugs Want you to fight for me Go ahead and fight for my love Want you to die for me But you just died on me So now I'm standing in the mirror Feeling real lonely Sorry mommy No excuse for my actions. I 
should have been a mum and now I'm living with regret Cause I passed on my trauma, I'm so sorry for the pain that you feel in your heart And if I could take it away, I would tear it all apart I tear myself up every day, I wish I had my baby back But when push came to shove, I didn't have my baby's back I was caught up in the trap, I was fronting on your dad And my demons came in masses, was too weak to fight them back Don't blame me for what I did, put blame where it belongs I did bad on my own, having you was never wrong You were a blessing all along, just too blind to fucking see Hating on who I am, please don't ever be like me I should have fought for you That was Fight For Me. That's a track by Barker featuring Electric Fields. Uh, next up, we're going to play you a clip from Beyond the Bars. It's First Nations programmers live from Victoria Prisons this week through 3CR. So Beyond the Bars, as we were saying earlier, is um, a First Nations program who um, are live from Victorian prisons all this week. It's connecting First Nations inmates with families and community during NADOC. And to kick off the show this morning, we're going to play you a clip from a Beyond the Bars uh, broadcast yesterday. Mm -hmm. Nah. <laughs> That's good. Um, it's great to see you all. Happy Nadoc. Happy Nadoc. Yeah. Yeah, you had a good Are you coming out? Good morning. Long go. That's right. We're doing all right. Yeah, good, good. <laughs> yeah, brr. Hey, Good to see you. Okay. I, I know, see, they, they thought we were strangers, but they, they realise they know us now. <laughs> <laughs> what is all done today? So, yeah, so we've come in to um, wish you all a happy NADOC. Yeah. And we're yeah. yarning. Mm. We're yarning to you all. Yeah, I love that. And it's going out light. Yeah. <laughs> come in to see, you know, what you're what, what is doing um, for you to have a chance to, you know, Tell us your thoughts on, on NAIDOC, um, yeah. some of the things that you, you know, that you, you know, maybe your dreams and aspirations, things you want to do after when you get out of here, because, you know, who wants to be in here? And, yeah. um, you know, and got other better things to do, you know, so. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah, you just sort of like tell us who you are, your first names, where you're from, and if you'd like to give a shout out to any of your family, any of your children, anything like that, this is your opportunity. Yeah. Well, my name's Lily. I'm from Mildura. Brr. Oh. Um, my name's Lily. I'm from Mildura. I'm a Barkindy woman. Good. Proud. Um, mm. Yeah. Happy Nadoc. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm Kiara. I'm also from Mildura. 
Yeah. Barking, gee. Let's try Oh, deadly. I'm Claire, and I'm from Leeton, so I'm Radri. And yeah, happy natal. Yeah, happy natal. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to shout out to my dad that's in Lotton. Oh, yeah. yeah. Eric. Yeah. I was just there last week. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You seen my dad? <clears throat> no, I've not. Have you seen? Um, you. Eric. Eric. Yeah. 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 yeah um, um, milkman. Milkman. Yeah. J- um, Lawson. Yeah, Eric Lawson. Yeah, that's my father. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> milkman, I said. Yeah. <laughs> it's right. <laughs> said milkman. Yeah. Milkman. Yeah, that's yeah. my dad's. Uh, yeah. 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 I was with your nan there. I was with your nan last week. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, and your aunties, the other your nan sisters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to trip around over there on us. And he's doing good too. He's doing deadly. Yeah, he's yes. doing good. Yeah, he, yeah he I love that. He brought. He um. He was our broadcast. Our our guest broadcaster last last week, wasn't he? Oh, I love that. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's work. Sure, it's work. Yes, you look like your da- you look like your dad now. Yeah, yeah. Spit an image straight out of him. So, what does NAIDOC mean, mean to you? NAIDOC, this year's theme is uh, for our elders. Yeah. And so, um, like, do you have many elders that work around in, in Deer Park? Um, Annie Lynn, Annie. Yes, <laughs> the best elder in the in the business. Yeah, I'm Twenty Twenty-three years, aren't you? Been working in the. <laughs> well, no, we don't need Aunt on the radio, but Aunt's been really great, eh? Looking yeah. after all the mob and yeah. one of the elders, eh? Are, yeah. are steadily there. Yeah, she does She's, a lot for us girls. Yep, no. she's been doing good and just yeah. deadly. You keep thinking the same clothes and that. What's going on with this AM? <laughs> <laughs> like a Pokemon uh, earlier with this microphone. I don't know about the same. You got two going. That's, ho- that's hilarious. Oh, I know. Usually, usually we don't need to, um, you know, usually at karaoke nights people are fighting over the microphone. <laughs> but here now we're just pushing them yeah. on you. Yeah. I think I'm loud enough about the microphone tonight. I'll hear you. You've got a radio voice, you do. Yeah. yeah, you can hear me from the other side of the compound, you know? <laughs> <laughs> loud and proud all the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's true, that's yeah. true. So, what's so what does NATOF mean for you, Aunt? Like, we've got a little understanding of it, but what does it really mean? Yeah, um, I, I, I thought that uh, this. This year with the elders, for the elders, I think it's really important that we give a lot of love out to our elders. Yeah. You know, um, we don't always think of our elders and and then you realise they are the glue that holds a lot of our families together. Yeah. You know, and it's like, you know, so I think this week we should really uh, pinpoint our elders who have helped us through these hard moments and just give them a lot of love. Yeah. You know? Them. Yeah. 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 Thanks for You know? Squeeze them. Squeeze them. Squeeze them. Yeah. 
But it is. It's like um, I always think of, you know, um, our elders who were there when nobody else was. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think the, like the the first fights that they had, you know, the first big big rallies that they set up, and they paved the way for us. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. You know, they did, and, and like I, when I yarn with like, um, you know, people like Jenny Jenny Co, um, uh, Jenny Munro, who've been out there fighting, and how they were young, they were seventeen. Um, when when they first stood up at the Aboriginal Tent Embassy mm-hmm. and they didn't know what was going to happen. All they knew was that they just had to stand up and, and make a stand at that point. Yeah. And they didn't know what was going to happen, like the police were all there and, you know, all the politicians were there and nobody wanted Aboriginal people to be, you know, to have rights. Yeah. But some of our elders stood when they didn't quite understand the, you know, how strong they had to be, but they stood there. And for that reason now, we, we have been, you know, we've been born citizens of this country. Because back in the day, they, they, blackfellas used to just work for milk, coffee and um, sugar, eh? Yeah. They didn't get paid That's properly, right. yeah. eh? Rations. Yeah, That's rations, right. yeah. yeah. Until yes. they um, had a big, um, what's it called, when um, protest, they had a big protest and it went on for ages, eh? That's right. Yeah, I watched it on NRTV a couple of nights ago where they only got paid, you know. Yes. Like tea, coffee, no, tea, milk and yeah. sugar, eh? Yeah. That's yeah. bad, eh? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Had the big protest. Stolen wages, that's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 And, um, and so, yeah, and to acknowledge all yes. that is yeah. really important. Yep. Like the... Shout out to um, Aunty Jenny too, Aunty Jenny Co, Aunty Jenny Munro there, um, um, Uncle Lyle also, yep. um, and all, all the mob, all, all the followers at the embassy there, um, Naoka and, um, and, and Murray, how you going there brother? Um, yes. We'll catch up with you soon, when, you, when you've been home last. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I hope we'll be up there soon for NAIDOC, um, after NAIDOC you know, we'll be up that way. Um, and that, and I hope everyone around the country and around the states actually having a good NAIDOC. Um, to, you know, this week, and you got things planned and that, and maybe you're going to the ball, or maybe you're... Well, what do you guys got planned this week for NAIDOC? What have we got planned? Oh, we might go down the pub there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you look really... Um, you can see that, that they've had ladies' day out, and they just look very, very beautiful, actually, <laughs> and that, so... Your hair's all done and everything. You feel... How do you feel? looking like this, man. Yeah. No. No, that was, that was really, that's really good. See how shy they got? Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 that's right. Good, good. Yeah, exactly. But it is, it, it's great to see, because you all look really healthy and like you're having a fun day today. Yeah. I love when we see when I see all the sisters and that we're all glowing and we get all, get like you know get high off one another and that you know it's good yeah, yeah. isn't that funny that's mm. that spirit mm. yeah. coming together is spirit mm. do you get uh, often the chance to all get together yeah when the healing space we get to go up there for women's business and that we go up there yeah. and have yarns and that barbecues and yeah that. barbecues is that like weekly or just <clears throat> yeah yeah 
Yeah, oh. mum's play weekly, whenever. We can go up there whenever we want, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we just can't be too loud, you know? Oh, mm. that's, that's a really mm. good thing, mm. yes. Because mm. yeah. um, we did a few workshops um, leading up to today yeah. and we were in that space, you know, the women's yeah. Koori healing space. Yeah. It's great that you have a room like that. that yeah, it's mad. Can use uh, with all the great paintings that they yeah, have. Yeah. Paintings and yeah. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm starting to get into paintings. I've been in there this time, like, like any oh, other time. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. I was what happened? Tell us. Um, yes. I put two paintings in already. I did a kangaroo one, like with kangaroos and butterflies in the sky, and that for my grandmother, my great grandmother, Bar beautiful. Barbara. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that, that, that's um, really Murray important. And Murray Cod, you know, come from Mudra, you know, all the Cods yeah. and that. Yeah, that river, Murray that's Cod. the one that connects us, see, that yeah. river, that mm. river connects us all. Mm. We're all connected through that river. Yeah, Murray River, yes. Darling River, and it's all connected, so, yeah. Runs right through Mudra. Uh. Yeah. All the way down South Australia, it's all connected, we're all connected. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to do a new painting, um, because I just lost my great-grandmother, and she was still oh, in Generation oh. 2, so I'm going to think about doing painting for her, you know. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, I don't know, being in and out of juvie and in and out of jail, like, I, I just lost the chance because I wasn't really, like, around there, like, much as I should have been, like, because she would have known so much and that. I feel now it's hitting me that now, you know, because she would have known a lot and I just didn't take, cause I was, didn't take the time to go around and sit, around, sit there and listen to her stories and that, you know. And now it's gone, lost, you know what I mean? So it's really eating me up now, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that that is a big thing, isn't it? Yeah. Like the times we should have just sat there and listened to them yarn. Yeah, you know, but that's yeah. good because um, they're still here. Yeah, you know, yeah. like the spirit will always be with us. And, and there's knowledge that couldn't still could still be passed on. Mm. You know, even though she's not here, she. You know, I, I know that with, with a lot of my elders and that, they've taught me stuff even though they're not here no more. And then it's not till later on that I I went, ah, oh, this is what I kept Yeah, telling, yeah, there's, you know? there can be things that they've taught you don't, but you yeah. don't really realise it. And then something one day I'll just sort of click and go, oh, that's what they meant by that. Because some of them are so cryptic, you know. Yes, <laughs> yep. yeah. And, and, and yeah. you know, especially our, our, our nanas, our, you know, they are our, our matriarch, you know, and when... when we have our Queen Bee matriarchs in the family, you know. Um, Send a greeting today. Ma, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's an amazing spirit thing that we have that never goes. Yeah. You know. That's right. We we are a spiritual mob, and it's that that strong spirit, you know. That. Yeah. Yeah. Coffee biscuits there. One thing. One thing, Bob. I want you just to, um, what's, what's a saying that she used to say to you? What's a, a catchphrase. What's a catchphrase she used to say? Yeah. Do you, do you, do you, can you still feel her warmth when you think of her? Uh, I don't know. Her name was um, Dottie Lawson. Yeah, yeah, Tony Dot. So important that we see that, and now we've got so many of our elders passing away, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and 
we don't really understand the severity until it's like our our voice, yeah. you know. But yeah. all the blessings and and to everyone out there who've who've lost family. Is there a song or something that you'd probably like to dedicate to your grandmother that you that um, you like like to play? You no, know, um, that's right. Take children. Right? That's my dad. Yeah. Yeah, that your dad. Oh, I love that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I was watching him on NITV last night. Mm. Um, yeah, I take children around because um, yeah. she's a stolen generation, you know. So mm. yeah. we could play yeah. that song. That's right. We can play that because <laughs> no. this yes. story is right. This story is true. Yes. Yep. And um, now, beautiful to see his spirit keeps on out there what that touch that? our oh, spirits <laughs> to our elders who've lived through our stolen generations and still continue to live today. Brr. Yes. You just heard from prisoners from Dame Phyllis, uh, Dame Phyllis Frost Centre uh, talking about what NADOC week means to them and connection to family that was a part of 3CR's Beyond the Bars broadcast happening all this week for NADOC week so make sure you tune in 3cr.org.au slash beyond the bars Kian and Emma Donovan have combined on a new single to celebrate oh, as NADOC week begins. It's called Take No More and it's the debut for the Singing Out Futures program, uh, the Archie Roach Foundation's mentoring experience that helps emerging First Nations artists on their songwriting and recording journeys. So we're going to play that song for you now, Take No More by Kian and Emma Donovan. Show up. Take no more, black at the heart Take no more, true in our love Take no more Come stand beside Come join in now
was Take No More, the new single from Kian and Emma Donovan. Hi, I'm Robbie Thorpe. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison radio series, where we share the mic with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men and women in Victoria's prisons. Uh, We are such a huge representation in prison all over Australia statistically it has to stop and it's going to not going to stop while you're building more beds in a prison it's a band-aid what about beds outside tune in to 3cr during nadoc week at 11 a.m each day from monday the 3rd to friday the 7th of july we'll take you inside six victorian prisons dame phyllis frost center barwon prison fulham correctional center Loddon prison marguerite correctional center and port phillip prison to hear stories, songs, opinions and poems from the men and women inside while connecting with culture and community. The shows will be live on 3CR 855 on your AM dial, 3CR digital and streaming via our website or the Community Radio Plus app. For more information, head to our website 3cr.org.au backslash bars. Have you heard of long COVID? If you or someone you know have had COVID-19, you may still experience symptoms weeks or months later. There are many symptoms of long COVID, but the most frequent are extreme tiredness, shortness of breath, and muscle aches and joint pains. Anyone can experience long COVID, including children. You can find information in your language on the Health Translations website, healthtranslations.vic.gov.au. Just type long COVID as a keyword. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to 855 AM. Welcome back to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. As we've mentioned earlier this morning, it is of course NADOC week and we just wanted to tell our listeners about some of the really exciting events happening this week. Uh, So on Wednesday, the 5th of July, tomorrow from 6.30 to 7.30, you can join Koori Court Elder Uncle Walter Harrison, Supervising Magistrate of Koori Justice Rose Fowler, County Koori Court Manager Terry Stewart and 
host and CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service, Narita Waite, for a conversation exploring the history and principles of the Koori Court. It offers an insight into Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander approaches to justice and the law. Presented in partnership with Liberty Victoria, um, we will link to that in our show notes later today if you are interested in attending. On Thursday, the 6th of July from 7 to 8 p.m., you can attend Writing Black Legacies, a First Nations Literature Gala. This year, the University of Queensland Press released the first installment of First Nations classic series, recognising the brilliant and vital literary contributions made by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander writers across the decades. To mark the publication of this landmark series, the Wheeler Centre and Black and Bright present a vibrant evening of reflections, readings and performances, featuring many of the series' authors and contributors. It is hosted by acclaimed author Tony Birch, and you can hear from uh, heaps of different uh, First Nations authors, so definitely encourage listeners to attend that. Again, we'll link to it later in our show notes. Um, This Friday, the 7th of July, from 10am, is of course the NADOC March, organised by the Victorian Aboriginal Health Service. It will commence at 12pm and end at 1pm in the city. And on Saturday, the 8th of July, at 2pm to 4pm, you can attend the launch for Us Mob and Truth Telling Display, featuring a smoking ceremony and Welcome to Country with Wurundjeri Wurrung traditional owner Dardi Munwaro hosting a sausage sizzle, refreshments, and the launch of two thought-provoking exhibitions. Um, And on Saturday as well, from 2.30 to 4.30, is the Yellingworth Live Fitzroy Tour for NADOC Week. The tour will begin in the historical fig tree in Carlton Gardens on the corner of Gertrude Street and Nicholson Street, um, and then the audience will explore the stories, songs, and poems in the Yellingworth app, guided by... Jason Tamiru, and with live storytelling by special guests. So heaps of really exciting stuff happening this week. Of course, for a full list, you can visit the NADOC website, nadoc.org.au, for national events. And we also wanted to um, quickly talk about uh, something happening, uh, an initiative by the Victorian Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation, They are calling on the federal government to take decisive action and lower the age to access pension for older Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. This is, of course, in line with this year's NADOC Week theme for our elders. As keepers of culture and the heart of communities, elders impact and sustain a rich cultural heritage from generation to generation, including translating culture into contemporary ways. The organisation has called on the federal government to commit to lowering the age to accessing the pension from 67 years to 50 years for Aboriginal people due to the significant gap in life expectancy experienced by Aboriginal people. Lowering the pension age is an important step towards addressing the serious disadvantages experienced by our community. All right, we we are going to go to a track next. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is Black Smoke by Emily Waramara. I'll be sleeping under stars tonight Not sure exactly where I'll be Maybe underneath the pale moonlight Or maybe underneath that 
song there was Black Smoke by Emily Oramara. On Thursday, the 29th of June, Christian O'Connell, research and policy expert at the Anti-Poverty Centre, joined Priya on Thursday breakfast to speak about the convergence between Australia's cost of living and rental crises for people living below the poverty line. We are going to play this for you in two parts, and this is part one now. Attending to speaking plainly about economic inequality is, I think, all the more pressing given the ongoing cost of living crisis. And despite uh, a small retreat in Australia's monthly inflation rate in May, which was reported yesterday, the cumulative blowout in living costs over the past year or so has really highlighted the urgent need for redistributive social policy. So before we get into what those changes might look like, I was hoping you could speak to how, instead of spurring targeted political action at scale, the cost of living crisis has almost increased the normalisation of poverty in Australia. Yeah, thanks, Priya. Um, if only it was a small problem, hey? Seeing the what, what was a very severe poverty crisis creeping up the income scale now to affect so many more people and the total lack of urgency among political leaders to make sure that there is genuine relief for people and that they are acting to ensure that, you know, this is a crisis. We just a few years ago went through an economic crisis in response to a global pandemic. And for all of the flaws of the horrific conservative government at the time, they took urgent action and they took action at scale. And this is a crisis that requires um, just such action. Um, So we are... Um, it is quite despairing, I suppose, um, to see not only the lack of action from government, but the um, really cynical obfuscation of what's going on and the misdirection with their rhetoric around, um, you know, saying that they're there to help vulnerable people, talking themselves up as if they're doing all of these wonderful things. And I think yesterday was one of the many jarring examples of cognitive dissonance where we had the treasurer saying in one interview that... It was great that there was a higher budget surplus because it was important to take money out of the economy to control inflation. He also said yesterday in a different interview that it's great that there's a budget surplus because that's what they need to spend money to help with people who are struggling with the cost of living. So obviously these things cannot be true at the same time. And of course there is a budget surplus because they are not spending money to help people who need it. And um, it really seems at the moment that what they're doing is trying to find the bare minimum they can get away with so that the broader public believes action is being taken, whilst in reality very little is being done and very little money is being spent on people who need it the most, while these profligate um, projects are being rolled out like AUKUS and and many other really expensive things, corporate tax cuts, etc. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, it's not often that you can directly point to expenditure that could be redirected to uh, towards, you know, social policy and like actually, you know, strengthening our social safety net. But AUKUS is definitely one of those things. Um, so, yeah, as you said, the, the federal government was lauding their even bigger than expected budget surplus, but at the same time claiming that they're doing what they can to help help people, quote, doing it tough, end quote. They, that's, that's, a, that's the language that I, I see used quite a lot. Um, so this attempt to try and strike a balance between appealing to fiscally conservative voters and then trying to appear compassionate has been pretty, pretty stark. And uh, it's included jabs at anti-poverty activists for being impractical or utopian in demands. So 
Can you just run us through what was on the table in the May federal budget for people at the highest and lowest ends of Australia's income distribution again? Yeah, I think it's pretty bleak if we're saying that um, there shouldn't be poverty is utopian. Uh, there's a lot of things that I'd have in my utopia that go a bit beyond that. Um, in the budget, um, you know, so, so I guess back to that issue of the fact that there is really obvious spending that could be redirected to welfare um, that is true, obviously, but I guess I always want to remind people that governments have many choices and they don't actually have, it's not a zero-sum game. <clears throat> so if they really, really desperately need these corporate tax cuts that, such that they say they do, they also can spend money on welfare. It's actually not a matter of one or the other. They can choose to do both if that's what their priorities are. So I think that really exposes, again, even more how low a priority they're placing on doing what is really needed to help people. So to um, your earlier comment about inflation, the, the very significant inflation slowly slowing. <laughs> um, and I was just commenting last night that if we had seen above 5% inflation sort of uh, a couple of years ago, people would have been saying the sky is falling in. So mm -hmm. 5% is certainly not um, looking good from a government perspective. And I think there was another figure there that if you took into account certain very volatile categories, it's still over 6%. So we have this situation where inflation is high. Inflation or CPI does not capture the increase in living costs, the lowest end of the income scale. So for most people um, who are surviving on bare minimum, our costs go up much faster than that. Um, and what that means is that things in the in the budget, for example, a $20 a week uh, change to the job seeker payment means that for most people, they're still actually going to be worse off than they were six or 12 months ago because things have gotten far more expensive, you know, $20 a week for most people now, for basically anyone who's had to um, sign a new lease, your, your lease has gone up if you're a renter by more than $20. Um, that doesn't even obviously begin to touch the sides on energy prices, um, food prices, fuel prices, um, and, and everything else that we need. So um, we've got the $20 a week. Uh, we have a... I mean, the increase to, to Commonwealth rent assistance for people on social security payments is 15%, um, <clears throat> which sounds like a lot of money until you realise that Commonwealth rent assistance is basically nothing. Um, so, for example, it's about uh, – the maximum is about $75 a week. Um, in my case, I pay 83% of my DSP in rent um, and getting an extra 15% is not – going to move that needle very much at all. Um, and, you know, I pay that much of my income in rent for a property where my windows don't close and there are many, many, many other problems with it. It's a very low standard. So um, these are like, you know, really nothing. Um, the government's also talking about its $500 energy payment um, for a start that actually isn't $500 in most states. For example, here in Victoria, you have a state government program that's $250 per year. So the federal government has only allowed $250 in energy payment relief for people in Victoria. Um, of course, the rate of increase in energy payments also means that it's far outstripping that. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the, I mean, another uh, thing that the government has done is increase the age of the youngest child for a parent receiving parenting payment, which is good. Um, it was changed from 16 years of age down to eight uh, in the early 2000s. Um, 
However, the parenting payment is well below the poverty line. So there's been a lot of celebration of this change, but we still have those parents, although they are not being thrown into even deeper poverty when their kid turns eight, they're still in deep poverty. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, there's so many things that, as I said, are designed to look as if they're helping but really are not doing a lot. So that was part one of a conversation that Kristen O'Connell, research and policy expert at the Anti-Poverty Centre, had with Priya on Thursday breakfast. We will be right back with part two after this. When I was new to Melbourne, I found a footnote bombs fly on the road and I had like this feast with a carrot and carrots are my favorite vegetable. Yeah, I think they were asking for help doing stuff and I got in touch. We, I guess, rescue food. That would otherwise go to waste. I like the aspect of sharing food and um, not making anyone feel obligated to pay anything for it. We make a real point at Food Not Bombs of involving everyone who wants to be involved in whichever part they want to be involved in. For more information, go to fnbmelb.noblogs.org. Food Not Bombs is a 3CR supporter. You're on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. We are now going to go to part two of Kristen O'Connell's conversation with Priya about the cost of living and rental crises for people living below the poverty line. So something that we spoke about before this interview was the wholly unproductive framing of poverty as a politically partisan issue. And this has led to some pretty toxic political discourse around people living in poverty in Australia. And ultimately, I think it fuels the objectification of people living in poverty instead of centering their lived expertise, which is how we've recently ended up with uh, permanent income management, for example. So How do we shift the conversation out of this mire? Mm. Yeah, and it's particularly galling, again, when we have this gaslighting um, from the Prime Minister who is constantly talking about having come from public housing in his background and his mum relying on disability payments. And, you know, what he never recognises, of course, is the adequacy of those payments at the time was much greater. Um, Access to public housing was much greater. The quality of public housing was much better. I actually live like a block from the house that he grew up in. Even now, it's it's obviously degraded and not being maintained, but it's probably in better shape than the private rental I'm in. So I think we've got this situation where both political parties are seeking to score points off welfare recipients. And it's been that way for a long time. Um, The Dole Bludger myth was first um, entered Australian political discourse in the 70s under the Whitlam government when the decision was made to move away from full employment policy. And um, over time, we've seen that morph into the concept of welfare dependency. So we're supposed to think that these people who are suggesting that we need our lives controlled through things like the income control program and other paternalistic measures are benevolent and they're just there to help us because we're not competent managers of our own lives. So I think there's a couple of things necessary. One is that people, we do need to reorient um, people's understanding of who should be leading conversations about poverty and um At the moment, there is no respect for the expertise of people who rely on the welfare system. 
Um, we do not accept that uh, men should make and dictate um, policies about women. We do not accept that, or certainly people on the progressive side of politics do not accept that disability policy, First Nations policy, um, policies affecting queer folks should be made by people who don't have those experiences. And it should be the same for people in poverty. So what we um, have been working on you know, the anti <clears throat> sorry, the anti poverty centre actually exists for this reason, right? Because we were sick of paid advocates who have no understanding of our lives um, being the ones getting to decide what sort of policies that should be asked for from government. Um, we need to have this whole um, system removed from the hands of politicians who are trying to beat us up to win elections. We have a Fair Work Commission. We have a Reserve Bank of Australia. These are institutions that make decisions independent of government that have um, an enormous impact on the broader economy and on the federal budget itself. And we need to see these types of decisions put into an independent context in terms of welfare payments. And if we did do that, it would actually have a far smaller effect on the economy than those sorts of decisions from those two bodies. So we need those decisions out of politicians' hands and we need them based on evidence. So one of the other pieces we've been working on is um, a proposal for a far more sophisticated measure of poverty, a modern measure of poverty. None of the poverty lines we have right now are adequate, although the Henderson poverty line, which is about $600 a week, is kind of the least bad one. Um, when you talked earlier about things like the cost of healthcare, a really sophisticated poverty measure would first account for those costs and then if governments did something good, for example, like make greater investment in Medicare, greater investment in public housing, that the cost of living would come down and the poverty line may reduce. Um, so these are the kinds of things we think are pretty obvious actually um, but just aren't even in the discourse at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it, it really does speak to this um, complete sort of consideration of Social Security as still like a, a residual category, uh, even though so many people in this country, whether or not that is the primary source of income they access, access Social Security payments. Um, now, I know we've also sort of touched on housing a couple of times uh, across this conversation, but I wanted to get your thoughts on the, the highly charged public debate around the Housing Australia Future Fund, because that's also been framed as a politically partisan issue. But it actually looks much more like people experiencing housing insecurity, supporting, um, you know, demands from parties like the Greens for immediate improvements to their living circumstances. So what's your take on what the bill currently has to offer people living below the poverty line and um, on some of those proposed Greens amendments and, uh, I guess, the pushback till October? <clears throat> well, I think, um, again, this housing fund, which we don't support and we did um, put in a submission to the bill inquiry for this package um, saying it shouldn't pass. And I don't think there were any other submissions that said it shouldn't pass, um, certainly not from the progressive or left side of politics. Um, but it's just another example of the government uh, trying to come up with these highly technocratic, um, you know, really unnecessarily complicated attempts to, air quote, solve a problem or in, more importantly, look like they're doing something about a problem in, when in practice it's doing very little. And I think the nature market and many, many other examples in climate policy is a, a really, you know, relevant here as well. Um, the housing fund, I think people are pretty well versed now in what's wrong with it, but Obviously, the way I like to think about it is 
for most people who want to own a home, if you suggested to them that what they should do is invest their deposit in Apple stocks and wait for returns from the Apple stocks and use just the returns to try and use as a deposit for a home, that wouldn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> and it would probably mean you would never end up with a home, although that's the reality for most of us these days anyway. Um, so we've got the housing fund. It shouldn't exist. We actually just don't think there is a reason why it should pass. Um, but nonetheless, we've obviously got the Greens trying to improve it. Um, it's great to see there has been a big improvement in their, I think, their comprehension of the bill and the way that they're talking about it. It did seem early on like they weren't particularly concerned but did want to try for a bit more. Um, they seem now to have a very clear understanding that public housing is necessary, which there is no um, provision for in the bill at all. Um, so in terms of things like direct investment, that's a very obvious thing that needs to happen instead of waiting um, years and years and being reliant on the stock market to see whether there are returns. Um, and to be clear, the people who manage the Future Fund, which was established by Peter Costello um, and which the Housing Future Fund is modelled on, has said there's a very bad outlook um, for these funds in the coming years. So it is not expected that there will be a lot of money there. The money that will be there will not be to build homes. It will be to provide incentives to property developers to build homes when what we clearly need is a really drastic expansion of public housing, which has flow-on effects to the private rental market as well. And I think one of the frustrations, um, although I really do think rent controls are an excellent idea and we should have them, um, one, one thing that's frustrating is seeing this idea that there's these there's people who need social housing and there's private renters and we're, we're different classes of people. As someone who's in a private rental who's on the waiting list for a public home, I know that investment in public housing helps every person in private rental, both in terms of some of us moving out of the private market into public housing, so direct improvement, mm -hmm. but also in the change that makes in the private rental market, um, the pressure it places on landlords, the downward pressure it places on prices, things like this. So I think we could see more sophistication there. I think one of the big problems that we have is also this acceptance that um, something like Commonwealth rent assistance should exist. I think, you know, we're not yet at the stage because we don't have adequate welfare payments where we should be saying, let's get rid of rent assistance, but we certainly shouldn't be talking about doing anything to expand it. It is a landlord subsidy, but that's not the biggest problem with it. The biggest problem with rent assistance is that it, the way that it functions, so or doesn't function actually. Um, a lot of people experience administrative barriers and administrative error when trying to access the payment. It relies on people spending a fair chunk of money on rent before they can even get any rent assistance at all. And for every dollar of rent assistance you get, um, you're actually having to pay a bit more out of your base income. So you actually don't just, if your rent goes up by $10, you don't get $10 extra of rent assistance, you get an extra $7.50 of rent assistance. So your overall ability to manage your rest of your life is still reduced by $2.50. Mm -hmm. um, so there's all of these issues with the fact that it's being used as a back channel um, to fund community housing providers, which are effectively providing competition to public housing. Um, there's also issues with the whole approach to directing funding for social housing um, to community housing over public housing. And for folks who don't know the difference, public housing is owned and generally operated by government. Community housing is for the basically the same group of people, but it is privatised. It is usually owned and operated by non-profits. A lot of these non-profits and increasingly they are becoming what are effectively corporate charities. They're, they're very closely connected to the property development industry now. There was a time in the past where they, a lot of them were more grassroots, more connected to community, but that's not really the case anymore. 
they are receiving funding in a different way that makes it easier for them to exist. They get more rent. The solution to this crisis is not in the housing fund and it's not in advancing this idea of social housing. It's about making the case that public housing benefits everyone, that looking towards universal access to public housing for high-quality, beautiful homes is the best way to help everyone get into a safe and secure home, whatever tenure type they have. So that was an interview that Priya did uh, on Thursday the 29th of June with Kristen O'Connell, who is a research and policy expert at the Anti-Poverty Centre. You can catch Thursday Breakfast every Thursday morning at 7.30am. Renee Dixon is an emerging academic and co-founder of the Forcibly Displaced People's Network. More than 10 years ago, they were forced to leave Ukraine. Renee advocates for intersectional policies and services to be provided to LGBTIQ plus individuals who have been uprooted from their homes to create a more just and equitable society. They're joining us on the show this morning to talk to us about FDPN's ongoing work and their upcoming information session for sponsoring LGBTQI plus refugees. Welcome back to Tuesday Breakfast, Renee. Thank you so much for having me. So you've, of course, been on Tuesday Breakfast before. Uh, The last time we spoke, we chatted about um, a survey that FDPN was doing. Um, It was the first nationwide survey to capture the experiences of forcibly displaced people. Could you start by just briefly talking to us about the main findings of this survey and how it's informed your work moving forward? Uh, Yes, thank you. So it was the first co-design this survey in Australia, uh, together with people with lived experience, who actually uh, led this work and academics who helped us to analyze. And the key findings show us that discrimination is a widespread. Over 50% of respondents experience discrimination in all aspects of their life, including education, employment, services, housing, and healthcare. And it's disturbing because um, we... Um, we, we saw that people who tried to raise complaints and stood up for themselves, they didn't get any tangible outcomes. Instead, they had retribution, and in some cases, they lost their uh, job. Um, and it's uh, evident, and it's an ongoing issue, that people who have um, an experienced discrimination, their health outcome and physical outcomes are much more worse. And um, that data also indicate that violence against LGBTQ individuals in Australia is shockingly high. 60% of our uh, respondents, um, they, they, they uh, reported they experienced um, at least one form of violence in Australia. And this figure is significantly higher than average national um, for, for the general population. Um, and, you know, in short, the data shows that LGBTQ forcibly displaced people are not achieving equitable settlement outcomes as our heterosexual peers. And uh, this means that the work needs to, uh, to, done, to be done more across the services to ensure that LGBTQ displaced people are truly supported in Australia. Yeah, that's quite concerning, those findings. Um but unfortunately, unsurprising. Um, One of the things that FDPN offers is free online training to increase the capacity of community services and organisations in working with these people. Um, 
you know, I think it's incredibly important that all refugees and, you know, LGBTQI plus forcibly displaced people uh, feel safe in the workplace and included. Um, what are some of the main things you think are needed to make them feel safe and included? The workspaces needs to provide safe uh, safe space when the their staff feel that they don't need to hide, hide parts of themselves, uh, parts of their identity. Um, and it's crucial, and it can be achieved through the policies that extend it to all aspects of employment, including hiring, promotion, workspace uh, conduct. And often we can see that um, some people have experienced uh, patronized attitudes at the workplace, um, but we need to see LGBTQ forcibly displaced people in leadership positions. Uh, we need to promote their visibility, and not only when it's a refugee day or coming out day or whatever day. We, we need to be constantly everywhere um, having these opportunities to lead the work, to, uh, to, to show that we exist. And it can be achieved through also compulsory regular training for all staff members and volunteers in any organization um, that work with clients or with people and establish these um, confidential safe reporting mechanisms uh, at the workplace that people can uh, be ensured that if they're raising the issues and concerns, it will be uh, having appropriate uh, actions um, and they will not have the repercussions uh, by complaining. Yeah, definitely. And I think that point that you mentioned about being able to be your whole self is really important. I feel like the intersectionalities of not only being forcibly displaced from you know, your country of birth and your culture, um, but additionally having the barriers of being LGBTQI is it's a lot and it is all of that is a big part of your identity so it is super important that you know not only your workplace but also your community is able to understand the complexities and intersections of those two things yeah absolutely because we could see from the report that uh, lgbtq community forcibly displaced people they hiding their identity lgbtq identity at work um they're hiding it in the community settings, uh, ethnical community, uh, like gathering, because they're afraid to experience, again, discrimination. Uh, and in LGBTQ spaces, sometimes they don't feel that they are able to talk about their uh, migrant experience or, or refugee experience. So they, they're trying to hide this. And it's taking toll to try to always puzzle yourself and to um, uh, fit into the narrative. Absolutely. So FDPN has recently partnered with the Community Refugee Sponsorship Australia to organise a community information session about sponsoring LGBTQI refugees to be resettled here in Australia. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? So I will tell a little bit more about the uh, the pilot programme. So Community Refugee Integration and Settlement Pilot, which is a shortening name CRISP, is an alternative pathway to resettle, um, and our government is focusing uh, on LGBTQ um, group as a priority cohort. However, there is a significant uh, two challenges, um, meaning that commitment is there, but the lack of knowledge about that uh, people are eligible 
to spawn cell LGBTQ individual to resettle, resulting in a shortages of groups that are able to sponsor LGBTQ refugee. And secondly, CRISP does not offer the specific training to cater the specific needs of LGBTQ refugees. And this may result in the provision of generalized support that does not adequately address unique challenges faced by LGBTQ refugees. And in this context, FDPN is uniquely positioned to provide a necessary support and training, um, giving our expertise. Um, and also, well, we are trying to ensure equitable settlement uh, outcomes for uh, newcomers um, and understand, give this understanding to the groups who will sponsor LGBTQ refugees, their pre-migration experience and settlement experience of LGBTQ refugees, including um, this victimization, persecution, isolation. Uh, and it's critical to have this comprehensive understanding of LGBTQ people to provide them with um, successful settlement outcomes. Definitely. And, you know, I think in when resettling refugees, from a more government perspective, it's very um, basic. It's beyond providing a visa and basic amenities. I feel like there's not much more understanding or effort put into proper resettlement and that allows for, you know, growth and feeling part of a community, which is where I think what you're saying comes in with community care and awareness. Um, can you just talk a bit more about why that aspect is really important when resettling refugees? Community care is crucial because I could see the difference when people have a uh, friend um, in the in, in Australian society who were able to support them and people who wasn't able to build this relationship um, and, and to receive this support. People feel uh, often very isolated, which is resulting on the settlement outcomes. But when you have this community support and um, the idea is that five people come together and providing the support for this refugee for one year, um, and it's priceless because uh, people who will sponsoring LGBTQ refugees to resettle in Australia will be this group of support of people. Um, and the LGBTQ refugee newly arrived, they can come and um, receive the support knowledge um, much more faster from the people who is already living here, that who knows the system. Um, and... This program, it's actually a lifeline uh, to support LGBTQ refugees because if you will think only, uh, like we have a billion of refugees and around 1% would be ever resettled in the safe countries. So for LGBTQ refugees, it's crucial to have this program and ability to come to Australia and have a support. Um, yeah, um, so please sign up for our uh, information session, find out more, um, and be this uh, amazing group who can provide support and safety to LGBTQ refugees in Australia. Absolutely. I think this is such a great initiative. Um, where can our listeners find out more and get in touch with FDPN if they need to? So you can go to our website, fdpn.org.au. Um, you can go to the tab, What We Do, and you will find the page, LGBTQ Community Sponsorship. The first session will happen this Thursday, 
at, at 5.30, um, you need to register and we will send you a link um, to our information session. Amazing. Renee, that's all we have time for this morning, but thank you so much for joining us again and talking us through this very important issue. Um, we will link to not only the website, but also FTPN socials later in our show notes for anyone who's interested. Thank you so much. Have a good day. So that was Renee Dixon, the co-founder of the Forcibly Displaced People Network, or FDPN, talking to us about the work they do and their upcoming information session for sponsoring LGBTQI plus refugees. You can find out more at fdpn.org.au or follow them on Instagram at fdpn.lgbtiq. Next up, we're going to play a song. This track that we're going to play for you now is Damaged by Maisha.
That was Damaged by Maisha. Auntie Rhonda Collard Spratt is a Yamachi Noongar elder and stolen generation survivor. An accomplished author and artist, Auntie Rhonda is the co-author and artist behind Bobtail's Friend, the third instalment of the Spirit of the Dreaming series. As this year's NADOC theme is for our elders, we're going to revisit a chat Fung had with Auntie Rhonda last year about her art practice, connection to generations past and future, and her book, Bobtail's Friend. Now joined by Auntie Rhonda Collard Spratt, who is a Yamachi Noongar elder and stolen generation survivor. An accomplished author and artist, Auntie Rhonda is the co-author and artist behind Bobtail's Friend, the third instalment of the Spirit of the Dreaming series, which bring ancient dreaming stories into today. Um, showing that the dreaming never ended. She joins us on 3CR Breakfast today to share the messages of her latest book. Welcome to 3CR, Auntie Rhonda. Thank you so much. Um, Could you please start by telling us more about your art practice and how you came to write children's books? Yes, well, I didn't know I can do art. Not being with my family, I didn't know that they were all artists and they were musos musicians and storytellers so when I came to Queensland I live here now I did a an arts course with um, social security it was called then and I haven't stopped I've been to university now and have a visual arts degree and um, you know I was walking in the footsteps of my family but I I didn't know whose footsteps they were because I had no knowledge of my family so it's connected me back to who I am and it strengthened my heart and my spirit and I also teach art to our young people at the high school here in Ipswich, Bremer High and you know to bring this story forward, it's an ancient story but it's still applicable in this modern society and this particular story is about the bobtail the bobtail lizard but it has the blue tongue, most other states say blue tongue and it gets bullied because all the other bush animals have pink tongues and bobtail has the blue tongue. So it's about being careful with your words in the book, what we speak about. Yeah, so could you tell us more about your inspiration for writing Bobtail's Friend? Yes, well, I said to Jackie, my friend, we work in the true spirit of reconciliation. She's non-Indigenous. We're family now, so it's been a wonderful journey working with her. Well, my grandchildren were being bullied right now at school, so I thought, you know, and that really hurt their heart and their spirit. So I said, no, we need to write a story about what how bullying can hurt people. It can really hurt your heart and your spirit. And those wounds may never ever heal and it can last a lifetime whereas a wound to your body can heal like on your arms or your legs that will soon heal but a wound to your spirit and heart you can't see those hurts but they do exist so it was so important to get this out there to everybody children, youth, teenagers mums and dads um, nanas and pops because It's a learnt behaviour. It's 
nobody's born with hate, so we must be careful when we're around our children to be a good good role model. Because, um, yeah, no one's born that way. No, and, and like you said, a, a lot of these things we can't actually see, um, but we can obviously feel it very deeply. And for children, they um, they feel a lot of things that we, I think, sometimes don't really, yeah. um, we don't, we maybe take for granted or we dismiss and, and children do, yeah, feel feel a lot of those um, yeah. wounds quite deeply. That's so true. And in our introduction, we say to children everywhere, when you feel hurt by cruel words, know that you are beautiful and you matter. Ugly words don't hold the truth about you. And I think that's a very important message for all human beings, you know, if you're struggling and being judged by your looks and, you know, and, you know, we should be inclusive and accepting and embracing each other and take into your heart and your mind that we we are all humans and, just get in touch with the hum- your humanity and um, and think twice with the words you speak. Yeah, I think especially um, now um, these days, that's an incredibly important message to take away and and to um, to stress, especially among young people as they are growing up and learning the impact that their words have on each other, but also themselves. So. Um, That's right. Mm. And, um, you know, all Australians should be proud of this, these Dreamtime stories because it comes from this land and everyone is a part of this land now and um, it's a, the most ancient culture on the earth and we are still here. So um, that's something we should all celebrate. Definitely. And embrace it and to know us as a people, not just our music, our art and dancing get to know us and once you get to know us you'll be friends for life because um friendships opens up new worlds you know jackie stepped into my world and i've stepped into her world and she's taken me into what i call white spaces that i would not have gone into before so it will enrich your life and that's what we need and just imagine if we all look the same what a boring old world it would be eh? <laughs> <laughs> so true um and and that's like a that's a beautiful um anecdote that you were that you were telling us just now about you and your friend Jackie and I imagine that's um is that reflected in in the creation of um the book Bob Tales Friends that partnership that you have with her yes we've been friends now for 10 years um this is our third book together. I've wrote, written my life story, Alice's Daughter, Lost Mission Child. And our first dreaming book was Grandfather Emu and How the Kangaroo Got Her Pouch. And that's all about not turning a, your back or a blind eye or have it, and not hearing people in need of help. And it's about kindness and being helpful. That there was an excerpt from a chat Fung had with Auntie Rhonda Collard Spratt last year. Auntie Rhonda is an accomplished author and artist. Uh, if you'd like to hear the rest of that chat, you can find it at 3cr.org.au and search for Tuesday Breakfast. That brings us to the end of our show this morning. 
Uh, we had a big show for NADOC week today. We started off listening to a snippet from Beyond the Bars, uh, First Nations prisoners from the Dame Phyllis Frost Centre, talking about what NADOC week means to them and their connection to family. Uh, please tune in to Beyond the Bars all week this week at 3cr.org.au slash beyondthebars. Uh, we then heard a, an excerpt from Thursday Breakfast where Kristen O'Connell, research and policy expert at the Anti-Poverty Centre, spoke to Priya about the cost of living and rental crises for, living, for people living below the poverty line. We then spoke with Renee Dixon, who is an emerging academic and co-founder of the Forcibly Displaced People's Network, about sponsoring LGBTQI refugees um, and how best to integrate them into the community and to finish up we just heard a little bit of a chat that Fung had with Auntie Rhonda last year about her art practice and connection to generations past and future you can find the full version of that interview on the 3CR website thank you for joining us this morning for Tuesday breakfast Uh, tune into the other breakfast shows for the rest of the week and as always accent of women is coming up next Tuesday Breakfast would like to thank our friends at Living Coco for their support of the program. Living Coco puts community first by respecting food sovereignty. Based in Braybrook, they create bean to bar chocolates, cacao tea, intentional drinking cacao, and cacao mass in bulk. A zero waste manufacturing space. Living Coco ethically sourced cacao from over 130 domestic village farms in Samoa. They are at livingcoco.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Three CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au.